This is the Mark Podcast from Lifeway Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. Welcome to the Mark Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Heinemann. And I'm Kelly King. If you're a regular listener, you might already know that from time to time, we provide full teaching sessions for some of our favorite Bible studies right here on the Mark Podcast. We're kicking off a new study. Yes, and for the next seven weeks, we're going to do Jackie Hill Perry's Jude Bible Study together. We'll release the audio of one teaching session per week here on the Mark Podcast. Jude is Jackie's Bible study published with LifeWay. And she has graciously granted us permission to play the audio here. Please know that this is copyrighted material, so we ask that you not reproduce it. Before we dive in, know that the teachings in these sessions expand on the work that you'll do in the Bible study book. For the full impact of the study, you'll want to get the Bible study workbook, and you can purchase the book at lifeway.com forward slash Jude. We have a sample session there if you want to use it while you wait for your book to come in the mail. These audio teachings will be available for a limited time due to copyright restrictions. We'll leave the audio up until August 31st. We hope that gives you time to get the book and study along with us. Over seven sessions, Jackie will lead you through the book of Jude. You're going to dive into themes of being called, loved, and kept, and learn how to point others to Jesus in grace and truth. Now here's Jackie Hill Perry. In verse 4 of Jude, he says that there are certain people among God's people who have crept in unnoticed and that these people are or have been designated for condemnation. Then Jude begins to use Old Testament examples to make a point. Jude highlights the way that God has judged ungodly people in the past. In verse 5, he says that God destroyed those who didn't believe. In verse six, he says that angels that didn't stay in their place are being kept in other darkness awaiting judgment. In verse seven, because of sexual immorality and unnatural lust, Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed by fire. In verse 11, he talks about Cain, who was a murderer, Balaam, who was greedy, and Korah, who was rebellious. Utter darkness has been reserved forever for any and whoever would do the same. Now, in verse 14, the verse that we find ourselves walking through today, he says it was also about these talking about these people, these teachers that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Somebody might read this book and say, why all this talk about judgment? Wouldn't it be more Christian to just talk about love? Why would we damper the mood by talking about destruction and fire and wrath? We don't want to scare people away. So we just want to land on the fact that God is a God of love. Some people might say that, but I think we have to reckon with the fact and deal with the reality that God is indeed a God of love but he is also judge. 
And in Jude, he wants to make it very plain that any and everyone that has rejected God and more, specifically Jesus in word and deed, will not be able to escape God's response to their sin. Where we are in this text, we see that Jude is moving to a close on his description and warning of the unnoticed teachers that have crept in the church. He has warned them about the ideas that they have brought in that are contradicting the faith that Jude's recipients are to defend against. Remember, these teachers are wolves. Wolves don't look like sheep. So who they are and what they really represent is not obvious to these Christians that Jude is writing to. So he has to do the work of showing them who they are by pointing to how they live. But with every example he gives of the character, he also talks about their judgment. In verse 14, drawing from another Old Testament figure, Jude quotes Enoch, which the text says in the, uh, the, that the text says that he is the seventh from Adam. Enoch being the man that God didn't let die. He just took him to glory like we wish God would do for us. Enoch's prophecy was most likely spoken by him, becoming a part of oral tradition, passed around for generations, and then written in a, in a, a apocryphal book titled The Book of Enoch, to which Jude is quoting. Enoch, at some point in his life, said that the Lord is coming back to execute judgment. I think when you think about that, it should get deep because Enoch is only a few generations after Adam. So this means that God, for a long time, has been talking about the fact that he is going to come back to judge ungodliness. What that tells me is that God is very patient. God has been warning us from the beginning that he is on his way. And who does the text say that God will judge? It says all the ungodly. And what is it that he's going to judge them for? All of their ungodly deeds. One thing is for sure that if there were any of Jude's recipients that might have thought that they were good with God just because of their particular sins didn't line up with the sins that he talked about, I hope that when they heard that all the ungodly will be judged that it humbled them a little bit. Even if they didn't walk in the way of Cain, even if they weren't greedy like Balaam, even if they weren't sexually immoral like Sodom, if they hadn't repented of whatever sins that they were slave to, they would be judged too. Another way to look at this word all is to look at it literally. God will judge all the ungodly, as in he will judge each and every ungodly person ever. In Matthew 2, after Jesus is born, King Herod uh, puts out this order that all boys under the age of two, all, all boys under the age of two should be murdered, as in each and every boy, meaning that there were no justifications that could be made to rescue some. He didn't just want some boys to be killed. It wasn't the boys that cried a lot or didn't cry a lot that should be killed. All of the boys were to be murdered. Between Adam and all the way until Jesus' return, each and every ungodly person that has lived on this planet will stand before God. Every person out of every continent, out of every century, out of every ethnicity, out of every social class, people we have in our family and people we have read about in history books, people we know now and people that won't live until we are gone, people who are in the ground now and people who are still above it. God will judge all. Crazy thing is, is that time cannot keep the ungodly from this judgment as if God will forget what they've done. 
The amount of people that will be judged will not keep the ungodly from this judgment as if God at some point will lose count and give up, which puts us before the fact that there will be nowhere for the ungodly to hide when judgment comes. In Revelation 6:14, it says this, the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? There will be nowhere to hide when God comes. Who does Jude say will judge the ungodly? Well, Revelations actually hinted at it when it said from the wrath of the lamb. Jude says, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones, talking about angels. I'm going to read some verses and I want you to connect who it is that Jude is talking about while you looking at the language and listening to the similarity in the language used in these verses as compared to Jude. In Matthew 16, 27, it says, for the son of man is going to come with his angels and the glory of his father, and then he will repay each person according to what he's done. Second Thessalonians chapter one, verses seven through eight, it says, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Just as Jude referenced Jesus as Lord in verse four, he is now referring to Jesus as the Lord who will judge. On earth, Jesus didn't come to judge, but to save. But now God has appointed Jesus as both judge of the living and the dead. It is this Jesus who is being denied, who will become the one to execute judgment on those who have denied him. For the teachers that Jude is talking about in particular, what are the ungodly deeds then that they will be judged for? Jude has communicated this explicitly in the verses before this one. He says that they are perverting grace, that they are licentious, meaning uh, sensual, immoral. They are denying Jesus. They are unbelieving. They are rebellious. They are sexually immoral. They are blasphemous. They are arrogant and they are greedy. And the verses after this, he spells out their other sins by saying that they are grumblers, they are discontent, they are boastful, and they show favoritism to gain advantage. If you take these particular sins and you hold them up to God's law, and then you take them and hold them up to the greatest two commandments, to love God and neighbor on which the law and the prophets hang, then you start to see that when you put this stuff up and against the word of God, it makes sense why this behavior is considered ungodly. Because everything that they do is what God hates. Hates, I know, strange word. But how do you suppose that God is a God of love if he does not also hate? Whatever it is that you love means that you will hate whatever it is that disrupts, distorts, or disregards what you love. If you love children and life and human dignity, then you hate abortion, death, sex trafficking, and racism. If you love love, you hate hatred. If you love good food, you hate McDonald's. <laughs> I hope. 
I pray before the Lord of hosts. That's the case. <laughs> For God to be love means he must hate something. In Proverbs 6, it talks about the fact that there are six things that the Lord hates, seven things that are abominable to him. So that's in the scripture that God has a hatred of sin. And this hatred of sin and God's commitment to holiness means that he must judge sin. And that is what Jude is saying God will do. But why is this necessary to know? What does it benefit you or Jude's recipients to hear all of this talk about judgment? I think that there are two things that they can glean from this. One is that they can have conviction for the godly and repentance for the ungodly. When I say conviction, I don't mean the feeling you get when you've done something wrong. I'm not talking about that. By conviction, I mean the conviction you get when you are so convinced of something that it compels you to do something about it. Again, what was Jude's main idea? His main idea is that they must contend for the faith. It's easier to opt out of contending for the faith when you don't know what's at stake. When you when you really sit with the reality of that, the fact that people are doing life with you, but will eventually at some point face God's face and be judged by him. It should do something inside of you that makes contending for the faith no longer an option. This is why in the coming verses, Jude will tell his readers to have mercy on those who doubt and to others to snatch them out of the fire. Your own conviction that judgment is on the way will give you a sense of urgency to contend for the faith while we are in this season, this time period of mercy. The second thing I think that Jude's recipients can gain from hearing all this talk about judgment is that there will be repentance, hopefully, for the godly or the ungodly. In Romans 2, 4, the verse says this, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness? and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. When Jude's letter was read, it was heard by the godly people Jude is talking to and the ungodly people Jude is talking about. Both of them were in the room. So as they're listening to Jude's letter, as they're listening to Jude's warning, the hope is that they are now being made aware that God is very aware of all that they are doing. They might be able to successfully hide from the people of God, but they will never succeed at hiding from God. And this God will judge them because he's shown through Jude that he's done it to Israel. He's done it to angels. He's done it to Korah. He's judged the ungodly over and over again. So they might know that he will do the same to him. But God isn't here yet. And this is actually God's kindness towards them. That in his forbearance, in his patience, in his presumed delay, he is giving them time to repent. Even in the resounding truth that God will judge sinners, there is this light shining, if only they would see it, that God is yet and still being a kind God. But as we await the coming of the Lord Jesus, there is something that all ungodly people need to hear, and it's this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness 
because in his divine forbearance, patience, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The ungodly are no different than us. All, there's that all word again, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. These sins are breed and sexual immorality and rebellion and arrogance. But haven't we all behaved that way at some point in our lives? And because of our sins, there was divine judgment awaiting us. On the day of the Lord, that day that is set to come at a time that nobody knows, we all would have stood before God and been given and judged in the way that we deserved. We would have been punished by fire. We would have been kept in darkness. And where could we hide? Behind our gifts? Our communication skills? Our intellect? Our tweets? Our seminary degrees? There would have been no place to go. There would have been nowhere to hide. These things might help us hide here on earth, but before God, he would see straight through it. There would be no cleft to get behind. There would be no blood on the doorpost to keep that final death from passing over us. There would have been nothing for us to do to redirect God's wrath off of us and onto another. But in God's kindness, here came Jesus, our master and Lord, who stood in our place and on him was placed the sins of the ungodly, all of them. And on him was placed the wrath of God and on him was placed the punishment of hell and utter darkness for three hours. In the darkness of Calvary, Jesus bore that divine hatred of sin that manifested as the complete justice of God upon his son. And by saying it was finished and by rising from the grave, he became our cleft. He became our rock. He became the one who covers us by his blood so that when we stand before God, we stand completely in his righteousness. Death passes over us and eternal life is given to us by his grace through faith alone. The same gospel that saved our ungodly souls has made us righteous. And the same gospel is what these teachers must hear and believe. Hear me when I say this is that in our contending for the faith, People need the whole gospel. The gospel doesn't start with, hey, did you know you were a sinner? The gospel starts with, hey, did you know God is holy? Sin doesn't even make sense if not brought up in light of the holiness of God. And it's God's holiness that means that sin has to be dealt with. So yes, Jesus died, but for what? So that people could have eternal life. Right. But why were they dead in the first place? Yes, Jesus saves, but from what? From judgment. But why were they going to be judged in the first place? The gospel is where the judgment of God and the forbearance of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God and this beloved love of God meet to neglect the whole gospel as in to leave out the parts that might make somebody feel some type of way is to remove the parts of the gospel that actually make it good news. Grace isn't amazing unless you understood that you don't deserve it. God's love don't seem as deep and as wide and as long if you don't recognize the fact that God loved you way before you loved him. Part of contending for the faith is to defend 
and explain lovingly the gospel that just so happens to be the power of God unto salvation. To reject this gospel was to welcome judgment. But I'm crazy enough to believe that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, including false teachers, whoever believes in him shall not perish, should not be condemned, will not be subjected to death eternally, that anybody who believes in his name will not perish, but have what? Eternal life. Thank you for listening to The Mark Podcast. We'll be releasing all seven teaching sessions of the Jude Bible Study here on the podcast for the next seven weeks. We will leave the audio up until August 31st. Be sure to get a Bible study book, get together with your Bible study friends, or hop on a Zoom call and listen in. If you enjoyed today's teaching sessions, be sure to join us for Jackie's brand new event, Glory, coming to five cities in 2021. And don't miss Jackie's new book, Holier Than Thou, releasing this August. Learn more and find a glory event near you at lifeway.com slash Jackie Hill Perry. If you're loving this Bible study content, please let us know. Tag us at Lifeway Women or use the hashtag Marked Podcast on all your social media. Let us know what you're learning. If you like getting Bible study content this way, or if you have ideas for future episodes, we're so grateful you're listening and want to know how to serve you well. Bye. Bye. Bye.